today's scripture is Psalm 42, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Thank you, okay. Thank you, C.K. and uh, Dave, Trent, good to have you here at uh, TCC these days. Well, good morning. I thought maybe we'd kind of be alone here this morning, but uh, we filled up rather nicely. We've got 45 ladies, 48 ladies uh, away at Canmore, and uh, they're having a wonderful time. Just had a report in this morning that they had a refreshing time uh, last evening as they shared testimonies and they prayed together around tables and the Spirit of God ministered to them in a wonderful, wonderful way. So good time for them. Some of them have been running a half marathon. Some of them have been a 10K. Some of them have been walking and some of them have been sipping coffee and, and just enjoying themselves. So. And some of you men, uh, well, bravely brought the children this morning. Awesome. Uh, experiencing what it is to... Uh, completely be in charge. And so bravo for you. We appreciate that so much. We're in a series of messages uh, called Making Best Choices. And last week, and then again this week, we're uh, giving some focus to making best choices about our souls. That part of us that we don't necessarily talk a lot about in terms of using those words. Um, my neighbor came across the street last week while I was working on the yard. I have to always get myself mentally prepared when I see him coming. Maybe it's his lawyer background. But he loves to set up a debate. He loves to get me going and see if he can push my buttons. He tells me, first thing, he doesn't believe in God. And he's glad that I do, but he doesn't. He's glad that I can have faith, 
but he doesn't. More power to me, he says, that I actually believe in God. I smile, try not to go down that rabbit trail. Tell him, I think he has more faith than I do. Because I think it takes more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in him. And I said, just look around at this incredible world. Just by looking at the intricacies of this world, my sense that it took someone far superior to you and me to make this beautiful world. He disagrees. I don't try to debate him and set up an argument. He wondered if we were saving lots of souls these days. I thought it was interesting that he used those words, soul. How interesting not to believe in God and yet wonder about souls. After ten minutes of the most unusual conversation, he heads back across the street and I resume my yard work and I say, Lord, give me wisdom. Well, making best choices, paying attention to the soul, Yes, the soul still exists. It's not outdated. It's the deepest part of who you are. It's the whole person. Your soul is what integrates your will or spirit and your mind and your body into a single life. When you are connected with God and with other people in life, You have a well-ordered soul. How do I keep a well-ordered soul? I came across a little story many years ago, a story told by Reverend Peter Marshall, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate back in the late 40s. And he loved to tell the story of the keeper of the spring, a story about a man who lived high above the Austrian Alps, uh, above the, uh, an Austrian village in the middle of the Alps. And the old gentleman had been hired many years before by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through. Good job. Amen to that. <laughs> and this young, this young guy, this, this older gentleman, was, was hired to keep the, the debris away. And he cleared away the leaves and the branches that would have contaminated the fresh flow of water. And the crystal clear water flowed down into the village. And vacationers were attracted to the village. And the village was supplied with wonderful drinking water. But one night at a town council meeting, one man said, Why do we pay that old man to keep the spring clean? Why, we don't even know him. I don't think we need him. And we could sure use that budget line. So they released him. For several weeks, nothing changed. By early autumn, the the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. And one afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. A couple days later, the water was much darker. When another week had passed, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks. And actually a foul odor was detected. Swans left the area, as did the tourists. Disease and sickness began to become more and more apparent. 
Quickly, the embarrassed town council called a special meeting. Realizing their error in judgment, they found the necessary money, put that back in the budget line again, and hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, the river of life began to clear up. New life returned to the hamlet in the Alps once again. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. And the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. Friends, the stream is your soul. And you are the keeper. The stream is your soul. And you are the keeper of your soul. This morning I'd like us to think about paying attention to the soul to the whole person. Often in our staff meetings over in the conference room here, we simply ask the questions, how are you? How are you? We all know what it means. It might mean how is your physical health, because we find it easier to talk about our physical health. My head hurts, I injured my shoulder, stubbed my toe. So to ask how are you, might mean to ask about your physical health, but mostly we know it is to ask about your soul. How are you? Really? How are you? How do you answer that? I won't do this, I don't think, but if I was to ask you to turn to your neighbor and ask one another this morning, how is your soul? There may be some long pauses, because how do I answer that question? What words do I use? Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote, uh, who did the Message Bible, wrote, he said, I had a pastor when I was a teenager, an adolescent, who always greeted me with, "How how are things with your soul today, Eugene? How are things with your soul today, Eugene? And he said, the question by my pastor always left me stuttering and kind of tongue-tied. I hardly knew I had a soul. Mostly I knew that I had hormones, but a soul. So he wasn't very fond of that question. Well, actually, it's a question that cuts right through to the core of who we are. How is your soul. Everything about you. Your person. Remember the tiny little little New Testament book called 3 John? We looked at it somewhere around the close of uh, the end of March. Um, And it, it actually, it starts with an intriguing little prayer. He writes, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, isn't that interesting? Not just hope you're doing fine physically, hope you're healthy, but I pray your soul is doing well. I invite you to spend a few moments with me in Psalm 42, the passage that C.K. read for us this morning 
as we think about the longings of the soul, the longings of the soul, first of all, our soul satisfaction is in God alone. Our soul satisfaction is in God alone. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for, for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? We sing that beautiful worship song that came out back in the 80s, I think it was. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. It's a beautiful image. The psalmist thirsts for God like a deer thirsts for water in the desert. Have you ever walked through the desert? Have you ever had occasion just to take a walk through the desert? Water is a scarcity. Suddenly there's a little oasis. And the water brooks are springs which flow continually through subterranean rivers. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, Jesus promises that those who come to him and drink will have those streams flowing from their hearts. Beautiful picture. By this he meant that the Holy Spirit would be given to believers and streams of living water flowing out from us because of the Spirit of God. In verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. The, the psalmist talks about his soul, meaning his person. So the soul is the deepest part of you. And that's why writers in the ancient world, not just in the Bible, but, the, but also in the Bible, would also address the soul in the third person. In a way that they would never do with the mind or with the body, they'll say things like, bless the Lord, O my soul. I think that's Psalm 103. Or why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Later on in Psalm 42. There's a depth to your soul that is beyond words. Uh, when you watch the grieving of the people in Turkey these days, with the loss of the men in the coal mine when the explosion occurred, Hundreds of miners killed, and the families are grieving and pouring out their anguish, grieving for their sons and their husbands, and angry at the government for their sense of not making the mines safe. There's an anguish that comes from the soul. And what's happening in the Balkan states, Serbia, Croatia, these days with the flooding, some loss of life, but complete devastation of smaller towns. These towns are completely wiped out. They've lost absolutely everything. Billions of dollars in losses and money that the country doesn't have to rebuild. And they are feeling so devastated. Their souls cry out in anguish. It is the deepest part of who they are. And in Ukraine today, we can be praying. This is the election in Ukraine uh, today, but some who are in the eastern section of the Ukraine will not be allowed to vote. And there's an anguish that's going on in the country of Ukraine. The soul cries out in anguish. It is the deepest part of who we are. 
Often we, we live such shallow lives. And then all of a sudden something happens. There's a crisis, like in the Balkans. There's a birth. There's a death. And we get this glimpse of this tremendous depth. You know, when you think of it, the, the soul cannot do shallow. There is a depth to you. And sometimes we don't even realize the depth to who we are. In chapter 7, verse 11 in the book of Job, the great book of suffering, Job says, I will speak out of the bitterness of my soul. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, says the psalmist. And the verse reminds me that our souls are longing for satisfaction. But it seems to be the battle of our lives because we tend to want to satisfy our things, our soul with things that don't satisfy. We live in a restless world. We move quickly from one thing to another, hoping that somewhere along the line we can find something that will satisfy the soul. Well, they say confession is good for the soul. So maybe this morning we could do a mass confession together. Maybe we could put up our hands. No, you don't need to do this. If you are ever dissatisfied, if you're ever whiny, you wouldn't be. If you're ever cranky, if you're ever pouty, we could all put up our hands. Some days we're out of sorts. We're frustrated that we have to carry what we have to carry. I mean, why does this happen to me? Have you ever come home dissatisfied from your work? No, never, never. I know you haven't. Ever say, I hate my job. By the way, if you want to Google something rather interesting, Google 10 worst jobs in U.S. and Canada. And then Google 10 happiest jobs in U.S. and Canada. I'm not going to tell you the results of the research, only to say, which was astonishing to me, that clergy took the first spot in the 10 happiest jobs. I was delighted. Actually taken right off guard. I have to get on the phone and tell my clergy friends, stop complaining. We have a great job. And they were followed by firefighters in second place. 80% of firefighters are very satisfied with their jobs, which involve, because it involves helping people. And teachers, you made the list too. Special ed teachers made the list. Authors, writers made the list. And you can look at the rest. The point was well made, that it isn't always the best paying job that brings us satisfaction. It isn't always the job with the higher social status. Sometimes we get boxed in with our jobs, the bureaucracy, the heavy expectations, that we lose all joy and we lose the satisfaction and the soul gets squeezed. Well, they found that people in the highest jobs, happiest jobs, had a, had a higher sense of meaning. Less money, perhaps, less status, but a higher sense of meaning. You see, the main thing you bring home from your work is not a paycheck. The main thing you bring home from work 
is the soul. Is the soul. If you think about it. Work is a soul function. We're made to create value. The writer of Ecclesiastes says there is nothing better for a person that he should make his soul enjoy good in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. But it's because of sin that we're all dissatisfied. Ah, it could be better here, it could be better there, the grass is greener over there. Some are dissatisfied because they are not married. And some are dissatisfied because they are married. Someone said, we get dissatisfied with our hairline, our waistline, and our bottom line. And it's very true. And yet we have more resources, more gadgets, more techie stuff, bigger bank accounts than any other generation in history, and yet we still feel the lack of satisfaction. Where is our only satisfaction? It is in a communion with God himself. And that's what the psalmist says, My soul pants for you, for you, O God. What the soul truly desires is God. We may try to fill that need or that vacuum in our hearts with other things, but the soul will never be satisfied without God. And when you fill that soul with God, then it doesn't really matter about all the other externals because there's a deep, deep satisfaction in your life. There's a verse that says, I'm not sure where this is at, it's probably in the Psalms, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. One of our most helpful pictures is to see ourselves as needy before God. Our souls need, he- need healing. Our souls need refreshment. Our souls need health and wholeness. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Yes. When can I go and meet with God? Because my satisfaction is in Him alone. Secondly, our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They are resilient. They just need a little coaching. Our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They just need a little coaching. So look at Psalm 42, starting with verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I, I have no idea of the specific context out of which the psalmist writes. But it's easy to see that he's going through a very tough time in his life. That something has happened, and it almost appears like he is feeling the absence of God in his life. Now, we know there are times in life when that seems to happen. Uh, The heavens are strangely quiet. Some call it the dark night of the soul. Some simply say it's a desert time. I feel like I'm I'm walking through the desert. You call it different things. But we, we know deep down that God really hasn't left us. 
But we feel it. We feel isolated. We feel discouraged. I, I, I know I've been there. I think probably we've all been there. I never felt that God had left. It was just a desert time. Just a, just a hard time. Perhaps the psalmist hasn't been able to go on the annual pilgrimage to celebrate at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. I mean, something has laid him aside, whatever that is. And he reflects back to happier days when he was able to go. And in fact, his memory only reinforces his sadness and his longing. You you get that, you know. You look back and you say, oh, those were the great days. And you feel like you'd like to go and relive those again. He misses the worship time. He misses the celebration of joy. His heart is sad. In fact, if you read it carefully, it appears like from the New International Version that he would, he would actually lead the procession to the house of God. Maybe there's a clue there in the fact that he was no longer in his leadership role and that he was hurting because of that. But he remembers those wonderful worship times. And the, the, this picture of the sense of deep loss raises some questions about worship. I mean, do, do we ever remember our worship? I mean, if it were taken from us, would we experience grief? I mean, sometimes it's easy to come and worship and be more like spectators than participants. And the presence of other people actually may inhibit us rather than spur us on. But praise God, I think every time we come, we become a little more familiar with worship. We, we become a little more relaxed. We become a little uh, more able to enter into worship and forget about ourselves because that's probably the biggest issue as we, we're thinking about ourselves. We forget about ourselves and we focus on our hearts to engage. And the psalmist begins to question himself and his spiritual condition. Why are you cast down, O my soul? It's kind of cool that you can can stand outside of yourself and ask questions. It's kind of like he's talking to himself a few feet away. Hey, over there, my soul. Hey there, soul. What's bugging you? Why are you so down today? Why are you so discouraged? What, what's, got you, what's got you going here? And it's a neat perspective. It's uh, called constructive self-talk. And Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote about it. He said, our greatness and our pain is that we can transcend ourselves and become self-conscious of our own being. Says it a lot better than I could ever say it. Our greatness And our pain is that we can transcend ourselves and become self-conscious of our own being. He stands outside himself and he says, why? Why are you discouraged? Why are you agitated? And then he gives himself the prescription. Come on, soul. Hope in God. Come on, trust in God. Believe that God will restore you God will deliver you from your brokenness and he will make his face shine on you one more time. I love it. 
Do you know, do, do you need to hear that this morning? Do you need to hear that? Hey, soul, what's up? What's up, soul? Talk to yourself. Talk to your soul. What's going on? Trust God. Hey, soul, hope in God. He will deliver you from your brokenness and your pain. He knows. He has it. It's good soul talk. Our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. Often they just need a little coaching. Just a few reminders. So if you're leaving here this morning and you're talking to yourself, I'm just going to assume that you're talking to your soul and you're coaching your soul. You can talk to yourself and and say, oh, you are so hard-pressed. You know, it's not fair. I think you ought to lash out against somebody. You know the story of Atlas in Greek mythology? Carried the weight of the world on his shoulders? Man, that gets pretty heavy after a while. And you look at some people driving in the car and some people walking down the street and, and, and it, it appears like they got the weight of the world. They got the weight of the world on their shoulders. Why do we carry a heavy load? Why do we carry a heavy load? When you think about that question, you realize that you're concerned. What are you concerned about? You're concerned about how things are going to turn out. Really, isn't that the truth? You're concerned how things are going to turn out because you don't know. How does all of this impact my life? I don't know what's coming down the street. Is it going to bring me sorrow? Is it going to bring me sadness? Is it going to bring me financial loss? Is it going to bring me loss of personal power? Is it going to, is it going to ruin my reputation? I don't know what's coming. So I feel the heaviness. So this is really all about outcomes. I'm trying to figure out the outcome. And it is making my soul downcast. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? I'm often reminded of the story of Dallas Willard. And I reflect upon it often uh, after preaching or teaching a sermon. Because I don't know if you know it, but the old enemy will try to throw darts at any speaker after he or she has, has uh, finished a message. Uh, then you go sit down and you have comments like, oh, that was awful. You missed the mark. That wasn't appropriate. Shouldn't have said that. Why did you say that? All those comments, you know, and it gets a little easier as the years go by. But I have learned from Dallas Willard that you and I don't have to carry the burden of outcomes. And the story is told, and you just saw his picture up there. Sorry if that's a new name. Uh, theologian, teacher, author, now home with the Lord a couple of years, or maybe not that long. After Dallas speaks, I mean, he tells the story that, that he's become so accustomed to transferring it all over to God that he walks away and he whistles. Or he just sings a little hymn quietly to himself. And he's not second-guessing. He's not saying, oh, no, that went over. He's just giving it to God. And, and he's trusting him for the outcomes. I love that. 
I'm not there yet, but I would desire to get there. But Dallas Willard is, is all about helping people from the depths of his soul. He's about investing in people's lives, unconcerned for himself, just wanting to be used of God. And after he's delivered the goods to the glory of God, he just walks away and whistles, sings a little song. In other words, Lord, it's yours now. It's yours. Done my job. It's yours. So are you ready for a challenge in the next seven days? What are the outcomes that you can't control? What are the outcomes in your life that you can't control? Do you have to give a presentation this week, anybody? Little concerned about it? What does everybody think? You don't have to carry that burden. Once it's done, it's done. Not saying you don't have to prepare. You do need to prepare. Do you have a situation in your life that means caring for somebody else? Do what you can do. Figure that out. And also say, but I trust the outcomes into God's care. I just trust the outcomes into God's care. You ask about your vocation, your career, your plans for the future. You can't control all the outcomes. But you can put them in God's hands. You concerned about aging? Anybody here? Concerned about a family member? Concerned about a child? Concerned about a spouse? You can't control the outcomes. But you can give it to God. And you can trust Him for the outcomes. Which takes us back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, that we focused on last Sunday. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Psalm 42, verse 8, we have these words. I'll, they were beautiful words for me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. It becomes even clearer in the message version. When my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. From Jordan depths to Hermon Heights, including Mount Miser, Chaos calls to chaos, or was in the New International Version, deep calls to deep. To the tune of whitewater rapids, your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. Then God promises to love me all day, sing songs all through the night. My life is God's prayer. I get the sense that the psalmist puts his rapid pace on hold, and he reflects He slows down, and he hears the voice saying, Son, I will love you all day long, and all night long I'll put a song in your heart. I'll love you all day long, and at night I'll put a song in your heart. 
That's the marvelous work of God, to love you all day, to put a song in your heart at night. I remember leaving the Ottawa Hospital years ago with a... Uh, I drove, I drove the mom home. She just lost her husband. They just removed all the life support. And her husband went home to be with the Lord. And then, and then we drove home together, 40, 40 miles. And she kept saying, Oh, I've got this song in my heart. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. This, there's a song in my heart. And that's what the Lord does. Give you a song in your heart. As someone has said, your soul can be all right when everything in your world is all wrong. Isn't that great? Your song, your soul can be all right when everything in your world is all wrong. Remember those encouraging words from Peter to a little flock. He said, you never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing because you've kept on believing. You'll get what you're looking forward to, total salvation. Salvation means healing. Salvation here means total soul satisfaction, soul renewal at the deepest level of who you are as a person. Because, friends, sooner or later... All of our worlds get cracked. They fall apart. I mean, this is a temporary world. This is not our final dwelling place. We can't live in this world without cracks in life. Even some major fractures. But praise God. Our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They just need a little coaching. So talk to yourself, talk to your soul. Please remain seated. We're going to pray, and then there's a video that's going to come on, and then the worship team will come. Lord, uh, in your wisdom and love, you satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire. You alone are my heart's desire. And I long to worship you. For each one of us here this morning, Lord, be the satisfier of all of our souls. Oh, you know how distracted we are. But Lord, help us to be the keeper of our souls. Help, her, help us to keep the stream clear. Help us to be attentive to the things that are robbing us of our joy. Remind us again today of how much you love us all through the day and give us a song at night. We love you for that, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.